Okay, friends, here we go. I am talking again about this idea of soul health, and I want to give you some practical tools that you can use to walk in emotional health. That's what we want to do in this episode. If we don't finish it in this episode, we'll probably just do a one-two punch like we've done on others and come back in the next one. Uh, before I get started, I want you to take a look down in the show notes. There is uh, one, two, three links there for you. So I'm going to take them from the bottom up this time. The bottom link is a link to the Soul Wholeness book. That's uh, really the basis for all of the information that I've been teaching you for the previous four episodes and for this one. Soul Wholeness is really, uh, I think it's a tool to help you understand some of the common soul wounds that we all face at some point or another. You know, I use this phrase a lot, life is beautiful. It's also extremely difficult. And the difficult doesn't negate the beautiful. The beautiful doesn't negate the difficult. You figure it out, manage it, walk forward. And so soul wholeness helps you do that. It empowers you to understand the difference between the body, the soul, and the spirit. It gives you some tools to walk forward. Now, if you pay the shipping and handling, we'll send you the paperback book totally free. Uh, also, there is the Best of Soul Wholeness audio. So I created an audiobook for Soul Wholeness. I'm looking at the book right now. It is 26, 26 chapters. I'm going to say 26 chapters short. How'd you like that? Uh, but I pulled out seven of the chapters for a free audio uh, course that you can take that outlines the three common soul wounds and the three ways to find healing from each of those. And then in addition to that, there is the free post-traumatic stress self-check. Access to that down below. Take that, and then it's going to open up a video explainer that's going to tell you uh, what each of those questions mean. Uh, all of those resources there for you, totally free. The exception is that book. You've got to pay the shipping and handling the postage, and we'll same day send it here from the shipping station where I'm seated right now. Okay, so... Now, I want to talk to you, uh, as I've been doing the last couple weeks, about pause, rhythm, uh, intentionally doing some things in our life that help us in the area of soul wholeness, of emotional health. Let me title this, Therapuo, I'm going to keep that word, I'll explain it, Therapuo for emotional health. Now, you're, you're going to recognize that word uh, in just a moment as we get through it. Now, here's uh, what I want to say is um, my propensity is to try and do the best I can to prop on Scripture and lean into the Spirit. I don't always get it perfect. It's okay if we disagree on some of the nuances, all, all of that. We can still interact with each other, learn a lot together. But that is where I land on all of this. And uh, that said, when you go through the New Testament, there are two different words that you find for healing. Um, in this talk, I want to teach you those two words and then explain how those might apply to emotional health emotional healing. They, they have everything to do with it. Understanding why they have everything to do with it really empowers us to move forward in this area. Now, the first word is this. It is I-O-M-A-I. I'm going to spell it in English, 
and then explain it. I-A-O-M-I-A, I-O-M-A-I. It means miraculous or instant change. Now, when we're taking that from the Greek language, the New Testament, largely written in Greek, originally Aramaic, um, they have a different alphabet. So we are transliterating into English using the similar sounds. So if you saw this in the original Greek Bible, it would look completely different than I-A-O-M-I-A, but that's the best transliteration we could do. It means, again, miraculous, instant change. It's abrupt, cataclysmic. Things change immediately. You see this Iomai throughout the New Testament. For instance, John 9, 1 and following, Jesus Iomai, the blind man who had never, ever seen anything since the moment he was born, and then the man can see. Uh, Mark 2, 1 and following, Jesus Iomai, the paralytic who was lowered through the roof by four friends, and instantly that guy could walk. Uh John 5, 1 and following, Jesus Iomai, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, Mark 1, 40, Jesus Iomai, the leper, and he's healed. Nobody debates the fact that Jesus healed with miracles, not even people from other faith traditions. In fact, when we think about how Jesus healed, we all most often exclusively envision him performing miracles. Now, it turns out he still does miracles today. I've seen Iomai firsthand um, in other books and in the healing workshop uh, that I've taught. I describe my sister's heart murmur. She was completely healed. I've talked about my brother's gouged eye. He now has perfect vision. I've talked about my uncle dying at UAB twice. He's still alive years later. Uh, these are all examples of Iomai. So clearly, I believe Jesus healed in the past. I believe he still heals in the present. And I tell you this because I want you to understand that I emphatically don't have an anti-miracle bias when I relay the next concept to you. Um, the funny thing is I've had charismatic and Pentecostal churches call me to come speak at the church and teach these concepts. And then they think, oh, you don't believe in miracles. I'm like, no, 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 I absolutely do. Jesus did them in the past. He still does them today. I've seen them in my family. We've prayed for them. He still heals. Now, here's what you need to know. Whereas he performed miracles for some people in the scripture, Jesus also taught other people to be well, to live a lifestyle of health and wholeness. That is, he instructed people to choose health and then to walk it out. So that second word in the New Testament for healing is where this one comes in, Therapuo, like the title of this episode, Therapuo for Emotional Health. Therapuo means to, quote, uh, teach how to be well, to wait on, to heal over time. You probably recognize the resemblance to our word therapy. Uh, here's what's interesting. The word Iomai, the instant healing, the miracle kind, it's used 30 times in the New Testament. And the word therapuo, that healing over time, intentionally as you walk it out, it's used over 40 times. In other words, there's not really a big difference between the two. But if there was an emphasis, it would skew towards slightly that walk it out over time method. Now, in the Bible... It's not like we have to choose one or the other. You see both of these working together. 
um, in Matthew 8. Uh, it's a passage in which the former tax collector, Matthew, he strings together a series of healing events as a commentary on Isaiah 53, which is a passage in the Old Testament that prophesied that the Messiah would be a healer. Uh, that passage says this, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are healed. Matthew interprets that verse in light of Jesus's series of healing events and says, okay, this is the fulfillment or part of the fulfillment of that. It's an incredible commentary. So Matthew is stringing this together, Matthew 8, and he says that Jesus healed several people instantly. Uh, a leper approached him, for instance, in Matthew 8, 3, and was instantly made whole. A centurion servant who contracted a disease that inflicted immediate paralysis on his body, he was healed instantly with the word, Matthew 8, 13. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law, who had been on her deathbed with an extreme fever, she rose again and began serving them as soon as Jesus touched her, Matthew 8, 15. In other words, clearly, Jesus Iomai instantly healed miraculously, encountered and changed the lives of people. Now, again, Matthew tells us this string of three miracles, it created such a pleasant commotion that the entire village gathered together at Peter's mother-in-law's house after they learn she's well. Anyone who was sick or demon-possessed was immediately then brought to him for attention. You imagine, hey, he healed this person, he healed that person, he healed her. They instantly go, oh, we got to bring other people who are sick to Jesus. Matthew then tells us this, Matthew 8, 16, he healed them with the word. Some translations say he healed them all with the word. Now, I used to read that passage and emphasize the with the word part, as if Jesus simply spoke something and supernaturally everything occurred. Uh, here, you be healed, and they are. Then, oh, you too, go on your way and be married. They're healed. And then to another, oh, hey, you right there in the back, you be healed. You, you, yes, you right there. Now, obviously, Jesus did that kind of thing. Matthew showed us a series of three events, the leper and then the centurion servant and then Peter's mother-in-law where these occur. Yet right here on the tail end of those stories, Matthew eight sixteen. Matthew reports that something else occurred altogether. It's different. Jesus healed them, but the word Matthew uses to denote what he did is not the word iomai. It's the word therapeuo. Matthew literally tells us that when the crowds rallied together at Peter's mother-in-law's house, Jesus healed them by, here's that is, iomai, teaching them how to live well. And this is part of that passage that Matthew includes as his treatise on the Isaiah 53 passage, where, like, look in verse 17 of your Bible. He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases by his stripes were healed. In other words, people being healed instantly and people being healed over time by teaching them how to live well and them walking it out are both aspects of what Jesus came to do. So sometimes he heals people instantly. 
Other times he teaches them how to be well. Uh, sometimes Jesus touches us and we're dramatically changed in that moment. Other times he imparts wisdom to us so that we can walk out the freedom. Now, think about what this really means practically. Let's kind of step from 2,000 years ago into now. Jesus can heal lung cancer, but he can also teach us about the ills of smoking. Jesus can cure diabetes. He can also show us how to eat better. Jesus can heal sexually transmitted diseases. He also provides us with directions on how to live whole and healthy lives, as well as experience the joy of true intimacy with one person. He can heal us of the dozens of physical nuisances that we've grown to tolerate, or we can take his directions and experience what it really means to be alive as we walk it out. Now, let me give you one more example uh, physically, and then we're going to apply this to emotional health. Because this isn't just a treatise on um, physical healing. It, just kind of laying the bedrock of the concept. So if you go to Acts chapter 27, Paul, Luke, Luke, who is a doctor, by the way, and the guy in the New Testament that writes the most about the Holy Spirit. So if it's a miracle, he's going to tell us, because he writes about the Holy Spirit, writes about Pentecost, writes about uh, the spread of the Holy Spirit throughout the regions. Also, as a physician, he's going to be very honest about that data as well. Um, Paul, Luke, and 274 other passengers, they find themselves shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Now, Luke, the traveling reporter of the story, is well known. Uh, has a great uh, reputation in the early church. And he tells us that the shipwrecked crew makes their way to the shore and builds a fire to warm themselves. In the hustle, they inadvertently stir a snake pit, and after surviving a viper bite that should have killed Paul, the islanders conclude he had a supernatural reason for being there. In fact, they perceived him to be a god. <laughs> they say it uh, in Acts 28.6. They actually think that he is a god come to walk among them. And Luke writes that because of that, Paul was taken to the local chief who was confined to his deathbed, most likely with a dreaded illness like dysentery, something that would have taken his life. Luke says, Paul Iomei, the chief. He healed him miraculously, instantly. Uh, to use the language you and I are familiar with, this was a miracle. The remainder of the islanders gathered together to the hut after this, much in the same way the crowds flocked to Jesus after he healed Peter's mother-in-law. Now Luke, who would know exactly what happened from the vantage point of being both an eyewitness and a skilled medical professional, as well as the man who understood the powerful potential of the Holy Spirit, he explains that Paul then healed every, every diseased person on the island. That's Acts 28.9. To be clear, he writes that Paul Iomei, the chief, miracle, but Paul Therapuo, the entire island, that is, he taught everyone on the island how to live well. Or, to say it another way, those were not miracles. So when I teach these concepts, I most often define my terms at the beginning of the class, the talk or the lecture, the sermon, the message, whatever. It keeps everybody on the same page. It eliminates the guesswork. So let, let me let me do that right here because I've kind of gotten ahead of myself. 
I usually say something like, when I say the word healing, I'm referring to miracles, Iomei, to something God does. We might pray and ask him to do it, but it's something that, unless he does it, it doesn't occur. And then I add something like, in fact, he has to do it. I can't, so I'm not going to take credit if he does it, and I won't take the blame if he doesn't. I'll ask him, but that's where it sits. Now, most people instantly understand that definition, and they realize, okay, yeah, I get it. That's something that God does, and it's not uh, on me. I'm not the blame because of a lack of faith. I'm not that we just come to the Lord and ask. Once everybody understands that, I move on to the next concept. And I'll say something like, when I say the word health, not healing, health, I'm referring to choices you make which support wholeness, support well-being. This is therapeuo. This is something you do. Most people understand that, too. Uh, What many people have not understood before that. So we get these two concepts that seem different. But what most people have not done is that they don't have to choose between one or the other. You don't have to choose between healing or health or choose health over healing. Uh, Both are important. They both enhance the other. Jesus did both. Paul did both. We just don't catch it because the nuance of the language, we're translating multiple words as healing when it would be better to say, hey, one was healing miracle, One was learning how to intentionally walk out a healthy lifestyle. Let me give you an example. Uh, A few years ago, I read that cancer is 90 to 95% connected to environmental factors and only 5 to 10% related to genetics. I read it on a government website, not an obscure site about all things natural health only. Uh, So this was on uh, the National Institute of Health. It's a .gov site. It, It says this. Quote, only 5 to 10% of all cancer cases can be attributed to genetic defects, whereas the remaining 90 to 95% have their roots in the environment and lifestyle. That's cancer. In, in other words, what we're learning is we may have far more control over that disease than we once thought. We're not victims of genetics, helpless and hopeless apart from a miracle. It turns out we have more control over most health issues not just cancer, than we previously believed. Again, when I teach these concepts, I usually tell people something like, okay, so let's pray for a miracle, and let's hope that happens. I I have faith that it can, and we'll pray, and a lot of times miracles come. But then I also say, even if a miracle doesn't come yet, we're going to start walking in health right now and make decisions to back it up either way. That is, we're going to immediately make adjustments that stand in line with overall health and wellness. So if you're looking at just that cancer one, miracles, it seems, are needed for the 5% of ones we can't control. Our choices can radically influence the other 95%. You see what I'm saying? 5% genetic, so 5%. Oh, if God doesn't do that, we don't have a hope. But 95% lifestyle and choices that we do, goodness, we can make wise decisions. The odds are radically in our favor when we do so. Uh, I had taught this at a church several years ago. We 
kind of got to this phrase, just kind of landed it. Miracle or no miracle, healing starts now. Miracle or no miracle in any area of life, whatever you're working on, healing can begin now. By that, I mean this. If God does the thing that only he can do and we see a supernatural breakthrough, we receive it and celebrate it. If, on the other hand, he doesn't, we still make healthy choices in alignment with what we want our bodies to do. In fact, I encourage people to make those choices anyway. I tell them that what we want our lifestyle to do is to always reflect our goals. So if cancer is 95% environmental and 5% genetic, we don't want to receive a miracle that heals the 5% and then not adjust the 95% of the factors we can control. We want all of our decisions to support what we've received. Now, that seems to make sense. That's a long intro. Here's what all of that has to do with with this topic of emotional health. Jesus commanded his disciples and then empowered them to preach the gospel of the kingdom. That's the phrase they used when he sent them out. And he told them to heal people as they did. Luke 9, 2. To heal people as they go. Healing was clearly part of their message, part of the total package they carried wherever they went. Later on, just a chapter into the future, Luke 10, 9, Jesus sent out 70 and he said, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. Now I want you to notice the kind of healing that he sent them to demonstrate and to teach. This is revelatory. The word he used, the word we translate as heal is therapeuo, not iomei. They, they weren't sent to only instantly heal people with miracles, which we know they did from other stories that we read throughout the New Testament. They were also told to teach a kingdom way of life. They were sent to show people how to live well, how to be whole. Now, here's what all of that has to do with this. The first thing is I want to empower you as much as I possibly can to live emotionally whole, to be well from the inside out. Uh, sometimes getting the stuff right on the inside, it, it leaks outside and transforms the outside. It's highly likely any issues you have in your body even physically will follow the condition of your soul. Second, emotional healing is not, it's not just an instant Iomei miracle proposition. It's a lifestyle. That's why we've talked for the previous four episodes about pressing pause and getting your life in rhythm and stepping into divine order. Absolutely, I believe the Father often heals people in a moment, even of uh, physical wounds or emotional wounds. But it's possible, even probable, that you'll find healing through the process of walking it out. Too many people, they wait to get struck by lightning. They wait until a supernatural event occurs for them to suddenly, oh, I got a breakthrough. But here's a question. What if the breakthrough doesn't come. Does that mean that all hope is gone? No, absolutely not. We can still therapeuo our way forward. We can claim our freedom. We can begin the process of sorting life and stepping into wholeness. Let me explain. Illustration. The Declaration of Independence was signed on July the 4th, 1776. We celebrate that day every year with fireworks, swimming, long days at the beach, barbecue, burgers. 
more. That's the day our founding fathers claimed our freedom as a country. If I ask you, when did the United States become a nation? When were we free? You would say July the 4th, 1776. But we weren't yet free. They claimed freedom before anyone saw the finality of it. The military campaigns of the Revolutionary War lasted from 1775 until 1783. It took years of walking in a freedom that didn't yet exist in order to truly be free, even after they staked a claim in the ground. 1776 to 1783. 1776, 77, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, seven more years to walk this thing out. Okay, don't miss the parallel. Uh, you might have to stake a claim in the ground and begin your freedom march before there's evidence as well. And I think it boomerangs us back to where we began. One of the best places to begin is to press pause. To really acknowledge the hurt places, to step back, to process the pain, to move forward doing the best you can. There are tools down in the show notes for you. My prayer as you walk it out for you is that the Lord would bless you, keep you, be gracious, shine his face of favor upon you. May you see, sense, and feel him working in every area of your life. And may you have the courage to pick it up and walk it out. Uh, power up and pause, power up and pause, doing it in the rhythm of creation. Grace and peace. I'll see you soon.